Some time ago, my friend Mike called me and said, Steve, I have a message for you. You have to make a podcast. It's very important. Do it now. And I said, okay, I will. Can you provide me with extra time to do that during my busy schedule? He said he couldn't do that. But then I managed to free up some time. So here's my podcast, Audio Chimera. This is episode number 33, In Memoriam. In episode number 30, in which I gave my own brief history of time with apologies to Stephen Hawking, I made a reference to my wife's frequent tardiness. Regular listeners of Audio Chimera have heard me make many allusions to her, and once I suggested that she might even be late to her own funeral. When I wrote that, I didn't know how wrong I would be. She passed away in late October 2018, and this podcast consists of memories of her and our lives together. I suspect there will be a lot of editing as I try to get through this. People have often asked, so where did you two meet? And that's probably less an interesting story than how we got together. During spring break of my senior year in college, I took a road trip to visit three grad schools I had applied to. At the time, my career goal was to become the artistic director of a professional theater company. And so I'd applied to several MFA directing programs, Yale, Carnegie Mellon, and Ohio State. My interviews at the first two were less than stellar. Yale sent me a rejection letter that said if the applicant field had been less competitive, they may have let me in. At Carnegie Mellon, the interviewer couldn't say anything until he watched my videotape of my directing scene, and so he sent me on my way. At Ohio State, I felt like I actually had a conversation with the person in charge of the program, and in fact wound up attending there. My trips to New Haven and Columbus were pretty much hit and run, but I had scheduled them in such a way that I could spend a couple of days in Pittsburgh, and I had made arrangements to stay with my friend Kathy Burke, that's B-I-R-K. I knew Kathy from high school and in fact tried to date her at one point, but that didn't work out. However, we then became good friends. At Penn State, she met this young woman named Diana Burke, B-O-U-R-K-E, while trying desperately to get their Fortran homework to run without errors. Then they somehow both wound up at Pitt Medical School, Kathy for medicine and Diana in the Ph.D. program. When I visited Kathy, she decided to have a lasagna party for me and her med school friends. It was an awkward social situation for me. Everyone was talking about the strange microbes they had looked at through microscopes that day. Only Diana was able to converse with me because she had done some amateur theater work as a set and costume designer before grad school. She said she'd even considered going to grad school for an MFA in costume design. Note, she would design the costumes for all of my theater productions for 27 years. Before she left that evening, she kissed me on the cheek. Who knew where that would lead? I encountered her several more times. When I came to visit Kathy one weekend from Columbus, in York when they were there shopping for bridesmaids' gowns, and then finally at Kathy's wedding. Kathy conspired to have me stay with Diana that weekend, which was made more difficult by the fact that I was one of four people using her small apartment as a hotel. The other two men and I were sleeping in the living room, and Diana was in her bedroom with my friend Helen on the floor. 
Helen was madly in love with Kathy's brother, Fred, at the time and kept talking to Diana about him. Diana excused herself to go to the bathroom, walked into the living room, and whispered, How do you shut Helen up? I replied, With a brick. Diana had often said that that was the moment she fell in love with me. At the reception the next day, Diana was pursued by another of her house guests, but she really wanted to have nothing to do with him. However, I somehow managed to get her attention, and we uh, connected, shall we say, repeatedly, passionately. My friend Wes picked me up from Pittsburgh the next day and took me to Columbus for a week-long visit, and then he brought me back to York, after we made a quick stop in Pittsburgh to see Diana. She often cited that one of the reasons we got together was because I called back. And so that began our long-distance romance. She was in Pittsburgh, I was in York. We took Greyhound buses back and forth to visit one another. She drove to New Jersey when I was at the summer camp. And she accompanied me on my flight to Berkeley to get me settled out there. And that began the phase of our relationship with an even longer distance. We used to joke that we saw each other every six months, whether we needed to or not. Eventually, she got a postdoctoral position in California and moved out with me. As it came to a conclusion, she applied for and was hired for a teaching job at Penn State Hazleton. In episode number 17, I talked about the joys of moving all of our earthly possessions in a rider truck while towing our Tercel. When she did not get tenure there, I followed her to West Virginia. That was West Virginia, and I'll say no more about that. But then she followed me to my full-time position at Pitt Greensburg. After a year as an adjunct, she quickly got hired full-time at the Community College of Allegheny County. Once more, she had a long commute, as she often had several times before. But we were living in a 1905 brick Victorian house, which she often referred to as our dollhouse and our dream house. We never had children, but not for lack of trying. We did the whole infertility workup thing following a miscarriage one year, but that never worked out, so we focused instead on our students, whom we often thought of as our children. Times were not always perfect for us. We had our moments of fighting and friction, but I think this story will best illuminate our relationship. In the summer before she died, she was finally going through boxes of costume fabric that I'd been nagging her to go through for eight years. After looking at some pieces of velvet, she explained to me how she wanted me to store them upstairs. She went into an explanation of which end of the box should be open, not sealed, and which end should be down. I repeated back to her what I thought she had said. She said, no. Then she explained it all to me again. Again, I repeated back what I thought she had said, and she said, no, and explained it again. When I repeated back to her a third time what I thought she said, she said very loudly, no, you are not listening to me. And then we said, at the same time and at the same volume, clearly. And then we cracked up in uncontrollable laughter. And she told that story often as a perfect example of how things can work out. Diana had some physical problems. A long-term wound turned into several infections that eventually left her with a below-the-knee amputation. 
She also had trouble breathing, whether that could be attributed to a teenage bout with pneumonia, her mother cleaning their walls with undiluted Clorox bleach, or all the chemicals she used in the labs that she worked in, or all of the above. That September, she caught my cold, which went right to bronchitis. She went to an urgent care place where they were terribly concerned about her low pulse ox reading. They sent her to the hospital where she remained for six days. All the oxygen and nebulizer treatments seemed to help. She was on the mend. She came home, then went back to work, and seemed to be doing okay. Then she had a bit of a setback and was having trouble breathing again. That Saturday night, she was having difficulty staying awake in the early evening, and then went to bed, which was uncharacteristic for her. We were always both night owls. I went upstairs to my third floor office to play a game and watch some Netflix. When I came down to go to the bathroom at 12.30 a.m., I found her also up. I assisted her from the bathroom, back to bed, and then returned upstairs. When I came back down at 3 o'clock, I wondered why she was so quiet. Normally, her breathing was so loud, and luckily I'd gotten used to her snoring. But now there was an unnatural silence. I won't go into all the details that happened between finding her and the memorial service the following Tuesday. At the service, I asked my friend Mike, whose voice you hear at the beginning of these podcasts, urging me to do a podcast, if he would read something for me, because I knew I wouldn't be able to get through it. It was this, and I'm going to try to get through it now. While attempting to distract myself with music the last couple of days, I heard this lyric and found it quite meaningful in the moment. It may be raining, but there's a rainbow above you. Yes, the eagles, I know. I also know Diana would have appreciated so much the outpouring of love and emotion for her over the last few days. She was so happy to see you whenever she had the chance, at reunions, dinners, and visits. I don't have the words to thank you all enough for being here. Diana's theme the last couple of years has been do things you want to do and see people and spend as much time with your loved ones and the ones you care about because you never know when you'll be gone. Let us all embrace that message from her. And I would urge all of you listening to this to embrace that message as well. Live each day fully as if it could be your last because, you know, you just never know. As I went through her office full of papers, and she clearly never threw anything away, I found so many cards, emails, letters, and notes that students had written to her, either during a class or immediately afterward, and even years later. They were all so complimentary, reaffirming her as the caring master teacher we all knew she was. When she died, we were just several months away from our 30th anniversary. People keep asking me how I'm doing, and I tell them, one day at a time. Some days are easier than others. And this is true, but not a day goes by without a thought or memory of my dear Diana. <laughs>